Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by BioOptimizers and one of their leading products, the P3OM. It uses just one proven probiotic strain that's so effective it has been patented and researchers have called it the Navy Seal of probiotics due to its ability to go in and kick out the bad guys. Want to see P3OM 2.0 in action? You can see it break down food when you go to their website at p3om.com forward slash human. There's also no risk because if you don't find P3OM 2.0 to be the most potent probiotic you've ever taken, Their support team will give you all your money back, no questions asked. Just be sure to enter the coupon code HUMAN10, that's HUMAN, all caps, the number 10, to receive 10% off at p3om.com forward slash human. All right, now on to the next episode. We are up and rolling. Okay, Carol Ann, I'm going to, you know, we just had a little technical glitch. We're going to restart. Um, welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Like I said, uh, I've been aware of you for quite a while on social media. I've kind of just, you know, seen you interact with me on Twitter, and I know you've had a, a tremendous health journey, and so you've made some tremendous progress. And so, uh, again, let's just go through, you know, start from the beginning with your story, and we'll go from there. Well, I've struggled with obesity uh, since the birth of my children. I was always slim before. I'm 6'1", so tall, and I was always very fit. I was a bodybuilder, um, how I put myself through university that way. But after the children, the weight went on, and I began to lose my mobility related to a connective tissue disorder, and I'm now full-time in a power wheelchair. Um, And so along with the obesity, of course, um, came trouble with um, other health areas, my blood sugar. I had a couple of really bad accidents and that, I think that really derailed my health in a big way. My A1C was 8.6. I, in 2013, I was diagnosed with uh, basal septal hypertrophy, left ventricular um, involvement, heart failure essentially, uh, followed every two years by transthoracic echoes, that kind of thing. I had a toxic level of mercury in my body, 29. I think under 19 is okay. Um, and, you know, I, I've also been living with a mast cell activation disorder my whole life. It's related to the connective tissue disorder. And so saw Dr. Fung, started seeing Dr. Fung, Megan Ramos, um, at the clinic, the IDM clinic, which was uh, quite good, started on a ketogenic diet. Began by losing 30 pounds, uh, still continued to have, you know, these accidents happened. And then my blood sugar was just kind of out of control again, back up to 8.6 A1C. And I was having coronary, chronic urinary tract infections and honestly, just so many health issues. My liver enzymes were high. My fasting insulin was high. And so this was even on the ketogenic diet. And so, and I was, I'm, I'm pretty um, good at following things. My, my problem's not willpower, and I'm, I'm the best test case for that in the world. I'm on day 20 of a 28-day fast. You know, it's no problem. I feel, feel fine with it. But, you know, it's, I think last February I contacted you because I had been diagnosed with a kidney uh, tumor cancer, and uh, I didn't know what to do. And so the keto, you know, didn't seem to be doing enough. And, and a lot of that reasons for that are, you know, when you are involved in an accident and have a severe injury, tons of pain, and that also puts your cortisol level up, I understand, and, you know, sort of interferes. But for within three weeks of starting the carnivore diet, as I kind of got from you, 
my A1C, and I think it was, I can't say day to day, I sent you the blood work. I think it might have been about four weeks from the day I started to the day I got tested, went from 8.6 to 5.8, which I thought was mathematically impossible. So did Dr. Fung, so did my family doctor, but that's what happened. And I showed you the rest of my blood work. My, all my liver enzymes came down to normal, my fasting insulin down to normal. And I went a week ago Friday to a cardiology appointment, had my latest transthoracic echo and consultation with a cardiologist. And, you know, I was expecting to see the sort of same old, same old, you know, maybe not any progression. And she said, your heart is entirely normal. And I said, right, with the basal septal hypertrophy. And she said, no, we see no evidence of it. It's, it's gone. And so no heart failure, no basal septal hypertrophy. And the cardiologist said to me, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, it's going to sound crazy. It sounds counterintuitive. I'm a nurse. Um, you know, I was trained that this would have been the last technique that I would have ever used. But you know what? You can't argue. You can't argue with the labs. It's, it's there. And so she said, you know, I could do this. And, and honestly, it sounded like to me that she was going to give it a shot because of my dramatic um, change. And I also had to see my allergist as well for the, I, the mast cell activation disorder, numerous anaphylactic reactions to all kinds of things. Some things I don't even know. I would just have an anaphylactic reaction really badly, like cut your clothes off kind of life-threatening stuff. And she took my triptase and it no longer meets the diagnostic level for mast cell activation disorder. disorder. It's not just normal, it's low normal. I had my mercury tested and it was 29 and 19 is the cutoff and it's now nine. I'm no longer toxic mercury either. And that's all. And then I've dropped a whole pile of weight. I'm 66 pounds down. Uh, and that's really, it was a, just a sharp right angle turn from the day I started eating carnivore. Yeah, I mean, to, to say that's incredible is an understatement for sure. I mean, and, and you know, I, I would say I'd be shocked, except I, I see these sort of life-changing transformations almost all the time, which is, I mean, I mean, it's just wonderful to see that. But, I, I, you know, I, I just before we get into the details, what, what was the name, do you know the name of the connective tissue disorder you, you developed? Well, officially, I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, okay. but I also have an FBN2 um, mutation. And so they're now just sorting that all out uh, because both are connective tissue disorders. Um, and who knows if, if it's all one or the other, but I have all of the trappings and all of the nasty trappings of that. You know, it's a severe variant, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar. We did a podcast with a Dr. Don Layton who also had Ehlers-Danlos and oh. she was, you know, she basically was struggling with the fact that she would wake up every morning with two or three joints out of place you know, completely dislocated, she'd have to put them back in. And she went on a carnivore diet and lo and behold, within like a month, no more joint dislocation. She's now exercising, working out, you know, pain has gone away from all the chronic, you know, trauma from the joints dislocating all the time. So that's been amazing. And so I, I just wonder, you know, you're in this power chair, if there's maybe there's some hope that you can, I mean, are you able to ambulate a little bit without it? Is this from, are you no. just completely stuck in no, it? I'm I can transfer, but that's it. And, you know, I, I, I wonder what would have happened to me had I not had the accidents. Like uh, it would have made, and you know, it was a elevator doors open and I drove over the edge and there was no cab waiting. Um, and so the, you know, the impact was really significant and it's caused me incredible injury. So I, I don't know. Now I have my, again, my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is, is quite severe. Um, all of my joints in my body are extraordinarily hypermobile. Um, so trauma is multiplied, obviously, for me. But I, you know, who knows? In time, I, boy, wouldn't that be amazing if that could happen? Yeah, well, I will keep our fingers crossed. No, I mean, well, the, but this is an important distinction because there's no exercise confounder. Because a lot of people say, well, they're exercising, they've changed all these other habits, and you that's not been an option for you. You've lost all this weight. You've seen these incredible uh, improvements in your, not only your labs, but your, you know, your actual physical manifestations of disease. You know, when we see this, uh, you know, heart failure going away, we see actually remodeling of the heart, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the dilated left ventricular ventricle or the, was it dilated or was it, I'll, look, I'll pull the, I'll pull the labs up here in a second. Yeah, 
And it was just not, it stopped relaxing and it's in systole. So, you know, it was not heart failure essentially. So, yeah. So, and you've got, so you've got obviously objective, you know, transesophageal and our transesophageal, transthoracic echocardiography. My ex wife did a lot of TEEs, transesophageal echocardiography as a cardiothoracic anesthesiologist. So, I'm pretty familiar with some of that, some of that, you know, terminology. But, um, so that's amazing. So let me ask you, because I know you're combining fasting, and some people will say, well, maybe it's just the fasting. And do you feel that it's the combination of both? You think that, that you could have done the fasting on a standard American diet or just any diet and got the same result? So I was fasting with the ketogenic diet as well and did not have these results. So okay. um, I, I mean, I think it's, they're, they're both a superpower if you combine them, if you're able to do that. I think um, one helps the other. Um, I did carnivore without fasting for a while, but had better results with the fasting. Okay. So I, I think there's merit to both, I really do. What yeah, type and, of fasting and, protocol are you doing? So uh, right now, uh, so 28 day, uh, just water, sparkling water, bone broth, pickle juice, tea, essentially. That's Pick, and I, I <laughs> <laughs> as I'm guessing that's an electrolyte thing, but uh, yeah, sure. um, is, so yeah, if you're what day are you on? You said it's a 28 day fast, and you're how far into it? Day 20. Oh, wow, so you're getting yeah. there. I'm getting there. <laughs> getting there. Pickle juice is the secret sauce to fasting, it really is. It takes away everything, it takes away any symptoms you have. It's just dehydration is the issue with fasting really. Mm. And once, and it's also a head game. So I remember, you know, struggling with a 48 hour fast um, before and, you know, once you pass 48 hours, you're not hungry anymore and you, you get so clear headed. I can't describe just how clear headed you are. I swear your IQ must go up 20 points. It's really remarkable that, that end of it, especially if you're hydrated. Interesting. Does the pickle, I guess it maybe doesn't matter because you said after four, I've never done a fast that long. So like 48 hours is when you kind of have like the appetite issue kind of go away. But does the pickle juice help with that in those early stages too? Because isn't it, isn't there something with like, kind of like sour type, uh, sour type flavorings that'll kind of dull, dull appetite a little bit? It could be. I, I've just you always used it. Dr. Fung suggests it. So does Megan. And it's worked wonders. I recall before I'm, e I'm a person who gets dehydrated fairly easily. So I have to really be mindful of that. And so um, it, it just works like a charm every time. I don't even consider 24 hours a fast. For me, that's not a fast. Uh, unless it goes over 48 hours, then that's a fast. Sure. Yeah, 24 is kind of just OMAD, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Does does Doctor Fung? I mean, I don't know if you actually if you're communicating much with Doctor Fung. Are is he aware that you're on a carnivore diet? I know I ran into Jason at Low Carb Denver, and he told me he had several patients that were doing it with with, with very good results. And so, yes, I'm one of them, and yeah, I see him. He's my doctor. Um, I've up till now I've seen him once a month, and I just saw him this week. Actually, we did a bit of a podcast for CBC Radio, and he talked about you know the reasons why. Um, you know, I've had these dramatic changes and I think there, he quoted a couple of clinical studies around autophagy and it's remarkable effects on the immune system and uh, cardiac function and how, you know, it just um, sweeps away a lot of damaged cells and, uh, you know, produces some of these changes. He's starting to see them more and more. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, again, that's a, that's a great combining. And I've heard a lot of people, many people say that they combine, you know, uh, a carnivore diet with, with fasting. And I, I think we have to, you know, define fasting, you know, for some people it's, it's not eating for 16 hours, which is something I do pretty routinely. And I don't really consider it fasting for me. It's just, for me, I'm just not hungry till then. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll eat, you know, dinner at 5 PM and I'll eat breakfast at eight. And I don't know what, are the, what, what is that? 15 hours or something like that. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty routine for me. And it's just because the way my appetite lasts, I did a 48 hour fast one time only because we had Cole Robinson on snake juice guy and uh, snake diet guy. And I, you know, I personally didn't enjoy it. I mean, I, well, it's not that I didn't, I, I mind the, the, the two days without eating, but uh, as an athlete, I don't, I don't find it has a great role. I think Jason even admitted that felt that it's not really necessary for athletes. 
Um, but more, but, but what I tried to do is eat enough to last me for two days. And that was painful to eat for me to eat two. That ended up being something like eight pounds in one sitting, which was, you know, it just wasn't, I wasn't pleasant. I was about three hours. I was miserable <laughs> I'd rather eat more frequently, quite honestly. But so that, you know, so I mean, the other thing, this is interesting. So I was in a, you know, we have this new, this new company I found called meterx.com and we have a meeting every day and I just, Every morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, I have a meeting with members. We had a guest come in, you know, a new member, and he basically. Sorry. He basically uh, was, uh, you know, type 2 diabetic, joined us World Carnivore Month January 1st, you know, we're January 24th now. He was three weeks in, and he was, he was taking 70, 72 units of insulin uh, per day, and within three weeks, he was down to zero. I mean, wow. which is to me amazing so it matches your hemoglobin a1c and we know that uh you know some of the Verda health data is showing that uh, hemoglobin a1c can change more quickly than we thought we used to think it was a 90-day thing but now it seems to be more rapid than that absolutely and now with the carnivore diet what i'm noticing is there aren't the changes in my a1c if i'm having you know, if I'm having uh, an infection, I get pneumonia about four times a year. In fact, I have to be straight with you. It just occurred to me this minute. I haven't had a pneumonia since I was on the carnivore diet. And that's four times a year for me on Zithromax and, and a severe one. I mean, I, I caused damage to my heart from hypoxia one time from these pneumonias. And I haven't had a pneumonia since starting carnivore. Well, that's another good good reason. Immune function, perhaps. I mean, that's you know, again, that's these all anecdotes. They're they're great. Um, hopefully, you know, like I said, maybe Jason will write this up or somebody. You know, that, that's some of the things you know we've got. Uh, you know, we'll have to get David Ludwig on here after we do this carnivore experience experiment. Not carnivore experiment. We've got you know David Ludwig's a big researcher at Harvard, and uh, we'll be doing this huge carnivore study uh, kicking off probably in about. Two, yeah, about a month, I think, is when we'll start collecting data, from my understanding. And so once that's complete, we'll start, start getting some of this in the literature because I think it's so important. And I know there's a lot of people that are keep saying, oh, it's only anecdote, it's only anecdote. But I mean, these things are just adding up. I know Zach, Zach's been sitting here watching all this for the last couple of years. I know you've, <laughs> you can't help but be influenced by it, you know, seeing that there's something there. And, you know, yeah. Every doctor I see, same thing. They say to me, all of them, um, we can't believe it. We can't believe it and keep doing it because we've. No, I don't have any ideas it would be any better. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, I think, when you get, especially a case like yours where, I mean, there's not a whole lot of other people you can look to and say, oh, well, there's the roadmap. So you're kind of left to one, hope that your doctor has a solution that will be helpful that you're unaware of or has, you know, does a really good job of guessing what to do if it's a case that's super rare. Uh, but that I think that's got to be like one of the things that has stood out with with the carnivore diet from when we started doing this podcast is just like folks like that who are kind of had tried a whole bunch of different things and eventually got to this because it was like the end of the road type of a you know it's it's one of those things where the funny thing that I think about is how many people have come on the show and said you know what, Sean, I thought you were super crazy when I first saw you. And now here I am, you know, playing around with this, or I had a patient who came in and said they did this and their health has turned around and things like that. And I mean, you can attribute it to what you want. But, uh, you know, the end product, I think is great when you're seeing people who are kind of, quote, unquote, hopeless, having a having a chance to, you know, live, live as normal of a life as they can. Well, one thing that is remarkable that after this uh, visit to the cardiologist. Um, I'm at some point going to have to have this kidney tumor removed. And we've tried looking at other treatments. I can't have an ablation. I can't have the stereotactic surgery, you know, related to tumor location. It's, you know, a really bad location for a tumor. But the cardiologist has blessed me for surgery to have this thing removed. And that has so far, I mean, I was diagnosed a year ago and I've got no treatment plan. But now I actually have some hope that we can do this surgery, which would be obviously life-saving. Hey, Carol, I mean, you could, I mean, you said it was a benign tumor. No, it's, it's cancer. It's cancer. Okay. Do we, yeah. have you had any, have you had image, image recently? Yes, I have. 
and it's growing. I was hopeful that, you know, it could um, impact the growth, but it's a vascular tumor. Mm -hmm. And they say it's probably the only kind of cancer that's not impacted by diet, just by the Mm -hmm. nature of it. Yeah. Okay. What do you eat on the carnivore diet? Just out of curiosity, what's your, what's your, what's, what's it look like? I eat steak and fish. Um, I, I will have liver occasionally. Um, but mostly fish and steak is my staple. I I'll eat chicken. I don't like it. I don't feel great when I have it. I feel great on actually be honest. I feel great on beef and steak is the best and, uh, fish close second trout, only the small fish, of course, but that's it. That's right. Cause you had mentioned earlier about having high levels of mercury. So you probably have to stay away from the larger fish because of that. That's, I always, you know, I have since I was diagnosed and it didn't really make a difference in my mercury level. It didn't go up any further, but now it's low. So I'm, I'm good to go, but I still stick to the low, the smaller fish, trout, sardines, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You're Did not you following have- the Canadian new diet plan where they say you have to eat a little, a tiny bit of meat and it should all be plants. That's, that's kind of interesting. No. No, and actually, the the gentleman and I will who will name remain nameless who authored one of the Canada's food guide, I went to a weight loss program with, and they counseled me to eat eight servings of grains a day, and I got sick, and I I kept going back in saying I can't eat eight grains a day, I'm sick, I'm, you know, this is killing me, I can't do it, and he you know kept saying oh keep going, keep going, it'll get better. Well, six months later six months sicker, I, I finally quit because I couldn't take it anymore. I was on all kinds of medications for symptoms. So <laughs> the Canada's food diet did not work for me at all. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised. Anyway, um, do you, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, do you, do you have family? I mean, are you, are you, do you have family, family in the home or? I, I do. Yes. Are they, are, did they think you were nuts when you went on a carnivore diet or what was, what was the story there? So that would be the understatement of the year. Um, everybody thinks I'm nuts. Every last person there is no one who has not thought I was super crazy and, oh, this is mom again doing something, you know, because I'm always trying to do something to improve my health. Um, and so it has, that has been a challenge. However, the voices are getting quieter as quieter and quieter as there's less and less of mom. They can see the weight coming off of me. They see how healthy I am. Everybody wants me, obviously, to make it through this surgery. And having a strong heart is a very big part of it when you have, um, you know, when you have a, a connective tissue disorder. But and even online, I decided recently to share my story on social media, on my Facebook. Um, and so that way, all of my friends and, you know, I have taken some hits from folks who are vegan. Um, I used to be vegan, and I support anybody's choice to uh, do what they want. That's a great thing about living in the free world is we get to make our own decisions and we're responsible for our own consequences. But, boy, you do get, you do get some hate coming your way. Um, and I never dished it when I was vegan. and It didn't work for me. I lost a whole bunch of muscle tone, and that was probably the beginning of my weight gain, to be honest, because it was after the birth of one of my children, and I thought I'd get in shape by – doing the McDougal program and uh, that just near finished me. It did. Um, and it went downhill from there, but there has been some backlash, but there have also been quite a few folks saying to me, wow, I, we can't believe it. And on Twitter, I did take a little bit of hate because I wouldn't post my medical records, you know, on Twitter, which for obviously good reason, you know, um, that, and one of the big reasons I shared them with you so that you can actually see and, if they listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. I've proven that that's the case. Dr. Fung confirmed it as well for the CBC. Uh, but some people are, are quite curious now. And I'm hearing things like, well, I could live on steak. Good. <laughs> that's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not hard to live on steak. I'm just curious, when you, 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 you went vegan, then it sounds like you, uh, uh, you did it primarily health. It wasn't a, an ethical save the world, save the animals type of thing. It was like, I'm going to try this for my health. Is that correct? Well, it's true. I, I guess there was probably a bit of both. I mean, I'm, I'm all for saving animals. I am. I love animals. I have a dog. I love them to death. Um, but the thing is, if you have to decide whether you want to live or not, and in my case, that, that's literally 
the decision, do I want to live? Because I could have been turned down very easily by cardiology to take this cancerous tumor out of my body. And being having a heart that will tolerate that means I get to live. And that's what it's come down to for me. And you know, who's to say? Uh, I, I read a podcast from uh, the Gentleman Mystic, and he talked about the carrot is no less sacred than the cow. And as long as you're doing these things mindfully and with some gratitude and understanding that, you know, the circle of life exists and we're here on the backs of many animals, the human race wouldn't exist. I think, you know, you, as long as you're acknowledging that and I buy meat from a you know local farmer who these a mom and pop organization trying to stay in business and it's good meat. They treat their animals well and I feel good about it. Yeah, I mean that's 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 awesome to see that. I'm just I'm just you know I'm just looking at your labs right now, and you know I can see that you know on on uh, was it November first? I'm trying to see how quick that was. You've got this big change in your hemoglobin A1C I'm just, that you confirm. So it's within a matter of like about a month it dropped. You know three three points, which is humongous. I mean that's a huge drop. Um. You know, it's, I'm trying to find the, uh, it's your fasting insulin. You know, again, this is, I'm trying to time the time frame here. Obviously went from high to low. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, some of the rest of these here. Uh, you know, the cardiology one. I think that, that and to me, that's the most exciting one because I, I get less excited about individual lab work. Um, you know, compared to other folks. I'll see if I can get it to download. It's giving me, giving me a bit of a problem here. Um, how does, did you have any pain, like inflammatory pain or anything like that that, that improved? Has that been a difference? Has that been something that you've improved? So I, you know, it would be good if I could know that, but because of these um, accidents, you know, you just, I mean, I've got a complex regional pain syndrome, and I think that's the last diagnosis I've been given. And I got a leg that's purple and freezing cold compared to the other. And so I, I don't know that the pain marches on, and I, I wish I could say it's made a huge difference. I think what the difference psychologically has made, you feel so much better on the carnivore diet. I think you've got more spoons to deal with the pain, I think if, if that's one effect, I, I can say that that's true. Um, it hasn't lessened the pain. It's lessened the pain everywhere else in my body. Um, it's just, you know, these injuries just kind of continue on until they're resolved in some way. I, I don't know. But, you know, it, it does steal my resolve to continue on because who knows. Hey, folks. I have some exciting news to share. HPO Podcast wants to reward some of our regular listeners and supporters. So we have partnered up with some companies to offer a monthly raffle for all our Patreon and PayPal donors. It's simple. Donate as little as one US dollar per month to automatically enter. For every dollar you donate will qualify you for a raffle ticket. At the end of the month, the raffle will be drawn and winners announced. Ultra Footwear is going to be giving away a free pair of shoes for our US listeners. Ultra Footwear makes shoes that are shaped like feet, have balanced cushioning, and build their shoes specifically to the anatomy of male and female feet. They call it their fit for her system. So check them out at ultrarunning.com. That's ultra with an A, running.com. S Fuels provides a series of low carb, high fat endurance and lifestyle products that are designed with the help from World Ironman Age Group Champion, Dr. Dan Plews, six-time Hawaii Ironman triathlete Dave Scott, and now myself. You can check out some of their educational material at sfuelsgolonger.com and also my collaboration with sfuels at sfuelsgolonger.com forward slash Zach. Sean and Zach will also be raffling off a free 20-minute consult each with minimum two weeks notice. So head over to paypal.me forward slash hpopod or patreon.com forward slash hpopodcast to support the show. Yeah, I mean, that that's, I've heard that on many occasions, you know, there's people that a lot of things get better, but not everything. And it's, it's you know, and you're actually, so you, I mean, I'm trying to get the accent you had was, 
you stepped in an elevator that was empty and you fell? Is that what, what yeah, happened? Yeah, the cab wasn't there. It was down. And so I went over the edge in a power chair and sort of slammed down really, really hard, um, enough to break a one-inch metal plate on the bottom of the wheelchair when I landed. And um, anyway, it was just, it was awful, awful just awful. So the, the cart, the card wasn't in it, wasn't in the elevator? The cab. The cab, I mean. Yeah, wow. the actual elevator was gone. So you landed, I mean, how many, how far did you end up falling? Was Not, it just, No, it was about, I, you know, it's hard to, to estimate, but at least a foot. And when you're traveling with a piece of 300 pound machinery. Sure. Um, when you land, it's, it's incredible what happens. So and, you, landed, uh, you landed basically on top of it, basically. Is that what happened? Yeah, went over the edge. Yeah, well, landed. Well, the cab was lowered, so it still was the cab, but um, mm -hmm. significantly lower than it should have been. Oh, okay. So it didn't come up to the full level, so you didn't have a, a normal surface. So you just kind of... No, just went over. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Was there anybody else there, or was that just you by yourself? No, it was... I had a helper with me. We actually had gone to a movie... And we was in the movie theater, and so she was right there and saw me go over the edge. Um, traumatic to watch, I'm sure. They have video, I guess. I haven't seen it, but. And that's after you'd already been, you know, in this chair. So how long did it take you to go from uh, being able to ambulate? Was it just a slow descent into being confined to this chair, or was it something that took a period of, was it pretty rapid, or was it something that took years? Probably it, it took years, but I think um, the use of mobility aids, I started with a walker. They braced my ankles because they kept dislocating. And then they, and then they, my knees took all the torque and then they started dislocating. And then when my hips started dislocating, they couldn't brace those. And so, um, you know, it was uh, 20 years I've been in a wheelchair now, uh, 20 years ago. And I, I mean, I was very, very active young. I'm a trauma nurse. Um, and then I taught. Um, after, taught nursing staff uh, and very, very active physically. Um, not do, probably didn't do myself any favors by being a bodybuilder for a number of years, but, um, you know. So I'm just wondering what, you know, this connective tissue disorder, I mean, it's, I guess Ehlers-Danlos is generally thought of as a genetic disorder. And so, I mean, it is. Yeah. what was, I mean, because, you know, obviously you spent a significant part of your health you know your life bodybuilding obviously lifting weights all those things going and then i wonder what was the trigger that made this now be expressed as, as as an issue can you think of anything i i can't because um at the time i was in in my practicum in nursing and i had just placed third place in miss ontario bodybuilding championship and i um was at my placement and uh, one of the instructors came up and back then it was like boot camp and they just said straighten up Carol and I had always had a scoliosis and it just took off and it became malignant scoliosis and then it started to compress my heart and lungs and I had to have uh, some emergency surgery and then a revision a year later and they diagnosed me then but I was in supreme physical condition at that point I was nine percent body fat I was um and it, they say it saved my life. I bled out during uh, the surgery, um, nearly lost my life. Um, but so I can't really, I always had trouble with my joints. I always did. Um, and, and pneumonias. And that was from the time actually I was born. I think I was three weeks old for my first hospitalization with pneumonia. So I, I had that kind of thing. It's a familial thing. It goes back a number of generations in my family on both sides. My dad and my mom have a gene. So it's a nasty little variant. But um, they're always very physical, you know, family. Some families are more or less, my families were all athletes. So, you know, and I just, I guess I sort of ground my joints out quicker by being so, you know, so physically active. And they don't know if like the, the I mean, I guess because like athletics can have a range of different types of behaviors with bodybuilding being maybe one of the more extreme in terms of just the kind of ebb and flow of preparing for a competition and recovering from it. So right. is there any, is there anything to any reason why that would have been something that would have uh, exasperated the issues? No, I don't think so. No. Um, because I, I had the scoliosis going and I was a gymnast as well. Of course, you know, with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, best gym, 
gymnast in the world, so <laughs> flexible. Um, and I remember being on the balance, being do, doing a backflip and um, weirdly um, landed on my head <laughs> out of in, in a fall off the beam. And, um, and I guess my uh, center of balance moved 10 centimeters in like a week. Mm. And so I immediately obviously couldn't do that anymore. But no, I, I don't think so. I think it was sort of, it was coming along. I mean, I'd all had lots of ankle troubles. I was on crutches quite a bit, but kind of a tenacious individual, you know. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> I went back to work in a body cast after having the scoliosis surgery after three months when I had to relearn how to walk. That'll give you an idea of uh, how tenacious I am. Just, um, you know, they said I wouldn't even hardly, I would be walking normal in a year. And I, and they said I would never return to my job as a nurse. And I was back in three months. So, but the physical conditioning, I'm sure helped that. Um, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you said when you went on the vegan diet, you felt like it deteriorated you. I mean, that, cause obviously a bodybuilding diet you know, particularly, I mean, really, I mean, despite the recent sort of belief that vegans are, are effective at bodybuilding, I mean, I would see something that would have been very remote from what you would have been do doing prior to that. So can you talk about, um, you know, where were you at in your health journey when you did this vegan thing? Were you still active and walking around and doing stuff? Or were you, I mean, or were you already in this sort of situation where your health was deteriorating? I was definitely, my heart, my health was deteriorating. I it was just after the birth, birth of my second child and I had put on a weight that wasn't easily coming off. And, you know, I had never had trouble with my weight before. I was blessed with one of these constitutions. Like it didn't matter what I ate, although I did eat healthy, raised on a farm. So we, you know, we ate meat and, and vegetables, but uh, I thought somebody had, I want a doctor, I think I knew told me about this program, this McDougal program. And, you know, it's pretty strict vegan. It really is. And so I thought I'd try and I did lose some weight, but with it, oh boy, I lost muscle tone and I started to feel fatigued. Um, and I, I just, when I of course lost my muscle tone, I found it very much harder to get around. Um, and that was in, okay, that was in 19, about 1993 when I started that. And I was in a wheelchair at 1998. So I, you know, <laughs> I don't think it did me any favors. No one can say this did, you know, caused you to be in a wheelchair or not, but it was a deterioration after that. To a couple, within a couple of years, I needed braces to walk. A couple of years after that, I, I had a walker and both laces, uh, both, sorry, legs were braced. And then in 98, April of 98, I was in a wheelchair full time. So losing muscle tone, I've noticed this. I'm 50, almost 57, 57 in uh, February. And I, I preserve that at all costs. Muscle tone, people don't know what it means and how important it is. Um, a, just a, a drop in functioning, for example, in the summer I can get in a pool that I own and, and um, you know, I can do some work in the pool. And I notice um, when the winter comes, I lose muscle tone so fast and it makes such a difference to how I function. And so um, that losing muscle tone for me, it's just devastating to my health. You'll have to see how this summer goes with you if you've been on, you know, the, the, the diet for a little longer. And, you know, I know a lot of people will comment that it seems easier to maintain and even build muscle tone, you know, when you're getting, you know, obviously protein's a huge part of that in the animal source. Protein seems to be, uh, you know, well, I mean, it doesn't seem to be, it is. It's a better source of, you know, muscle building uh, nutrients. I mean, that's clear. Uh, despite the, the the recent propaganda saying that you know, get everything you need from you know a pea, which is not true. Um, would you? I mean, if you could go back, I guess ten years, would you have done anything differently? I would just eat meat and fish. That's it. I wouldn't even listen to any naysayers at all. I would not pay attention to the noise at all. You have to do what works for you, and. You know, this, um, I have to say, though, I've got to give a ton of credit to Megan Ramos and Dr. Fung being part of the IDM program and having blood work done every month. And I know, you know, not the government doesn't love that, but that's what showed us all the path to what works. 
you know, the science. You, you can't rely necessarily on your body and, and, you know, you live with it every day. You don't necessarily see the changes, but when we saw the changes in the labs and we went with it, that's when things really began to turn around. Well, so I, I, wish, I wish I had labs regu more regularly and I wish that I just ate meat. I think that is actually an interesting thing too, because like some of the limitations of labs, I think can be cleaned up with some frequency. So like you're getting it done every month and it, and I think it obviously it's a different, there's a difference between someone who has like one or two markers that aren't quite in range, but otherwise they're feeling great and healthy versus someone who has a lot of issues going on and they have lab work that's kind of out of range. And then you make some interventions and you see that stuff improve. I think that's when labs are kind of used, used properly. And it's kind of cool to have, I guess for you probably to have a little bit of a roadmap as to like what happened when you did introduce different things or change different things. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the ultimate in biofeedback, really. It just stretched out over a longer period of time. And if other doctors too had seen the difference, then I wouldn't have suffered. I mean, everything I've done, has been really medically driven up till now and it hasn't worked and you know really well-intentioned uh, physicians I've had I have the best doctors I really do and everybody is just literally doing the very best with the information that's out there but it's the quality of information that's out there that has really interfered with my health and the health of many many people yeah I mean I uh you know, obviously, I've been a big fan of, uh, you know, sharing these these success stories because it does. And, and I, my my suspicion is probably you had the courage to try this based on some success stories that were out there, you know, whether it's sp directly specific to your condition or not. Um, and this is what's, uh, you know, uh, changing the narrative quite a bit. And I applaud you for you doing what you're doing and coming out and being open and saying, look, this is what's working for me uh, and maybe encouraging someone else to try it because we are certainly, uh, you know, there, there are people out there that say that, you know, our science is settled about nutrition. We don't need to do another study. Uh, we just need to eat, you know, uh, you know, a plant-based diet and we're all going to be healthy and there's no other, you know, there's no other, there's no room for discussion. And I think clearly we don't know it all. And clearly, in my view, the nutrition science has largely been kind of a failure in trying to assess what what's right for us. Because we, I mean, it's not the, the fault of the research. It's just it's you just can't do the studies you need to do. You know, at least not ethically. Outside of maybe Nazi Germany, I mean, you could have done them then. But uh, you know, and I'm being a little bit facetious about that. But I mean, you know, literally, I mean, you, we can't we can't run people through a study and then kill them at the end and cut them open and see what happened. I mean, we just you know, and we can't do it long enough to assess what's happening long term. Um, do you find, yeah, it's interesting, and I, I'll go back to the comment, and I see this over and over again when we talk about chicken. The poor chicken has been uh, maligned lately, you know, from the carnivore community because everybody goes and does it, and they're like, yeah, chicken really is kind of like the salad of meat. It doesn't really, it really doesn't do it for us. And I know uh, Joe Rogan had Pavel Sotsalina on, and they were talking about, you don't like chicken. It's like a weak bird. And you know, <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a joke, but, but honestly, that's the same way I feel. I, I have no desire to eat chicken. I'll, I'll go and I'll walk by and see the rotisserie chickens. I used to you know, not, not find it bad. I used to like it, but now it's like, I, you know, if I have a choice, I'm not going to eat chicken. And I think that's, I, th I just think that's interesting. And I, and I, I have reasons why I think that makes sense. I think it would have been hard to hunt chickens with a spear when we could have hunt, hunted big giant, you know, megafaunal animals that don't run away versus it always reminds me of the scene from Rocky where he's trying to chase a chicken around how hard that would be to, you know, get your food that way versus, you know, killing this one big large animal that has, you know, 3 million calories of meat on it. You know, anyway. I, I agree. And I, you know, I have colitis as part of the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so, um, you know, if I eat chicken, I react. I do. And if I eat beef, I don't react. Um, and funny enough, um, I had a piece of beef back before I was fasting, and I guess it had some lettuce on it. And I did eat the, the lettuce, and I reacted. And so I, I can't even touch the tiniest amount of it without reacting. But beef and fish. Fish is the same for me. A good trout, or a good rainbow trout, uh, or speckled, and I don't react at all to it as well. Do eggs cause you problems then too, or...? 
I don't eat that many eggs. I guess I probably should. Um, they, I do. I do react to eggs. I, they give me terrible heartburn, and I don't know quite why. But I listen to my body, and I just go back to the steak. But you know what? Pork, bacon, I'm fine with. I can. I have no reaction to bacon at all. Yeah, I was in. I was. I was doing a lecture in Malaysia back in October, and one of the. It was interesting. We had one of our. One of the researchers was a guy from Cambridge, in, you know, Cambridge University in England, and. He had been doing you know, food sensitivity, you know, immunologic reactions to food, uh, you know, testing. And he does something like a quarter of a million of them a year. And he's been doing it for something like 20 years. And he said the one food that almost no one reacts to, with rare exception, is red meat. It's just, it's just something that seems like a very neutral food for humans. And, you know, and certainly he sees people that react to dairy and fish and seafood and shellfish. And then all, obviously all kinds of plant products, whether it's the gluten or the, you know, the phytic acids or the citrus fruits or, you know, so on and so forth. But, but red meat, for whatever reason, seems to be uniquely um, safe for humans to eat in, in most cases. And I think that's what we tend to see, particularly for people like you that have such you know, sensitivities for whatever reason. And they're either, I'm sure it's multifactorial in your situation, but if, from a food standpoint, it seems to make pretty good sense and as good as you have at least the capacity to have some fish too because you know a little bit of variety is always nice if you can do it and i always say for, to people find out you know you know what you can eat safely and then if you want variety add it in and, and just be objective about it and so you get you definitely your body gives you feedback pretty quickly sounds like if you if you go off the off the off the path about five minutes after I've eaten it, pretty much. That's exactly how it works. And, and steak never gets old. And, you know, it's been a, a year, and I still look forward to a steak. And, and I'm watching people around me, and they're having their potato, and they're having their salad or vegetables. And I think, why? <laughs> it's so good. Why? You know, what's better than steak? More steak. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind steak. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I'm, I'm getting hungry sitting here thinking about it. So I, you know, I've got I've got a couple of steaks that are thawing out right now. So, um, Zach, I know you're eating a lot of steak. I don't think you get tired of steak either. But I know you have you have a bit more variety than than, than uh, Caroline and I do. But uh, any comments on 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 steak getting old, Zach? Yeah, it's not getting old for me. And uh, I guess uh, the variety maybe gives me a little bit of a reference point as to what's better than what. And <laughs> the steak's my favorite. So. I'll, I'll leave it there, I guess. Lamb is good too. I mean, in a pinch, lamb will do. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, um, yeah, lamb's good. Yeah, we had Kai Furneaux on to yesterday. She's interesting. She's a gal that's out in the Australian outbook hunting her own food. And she, she eats a lot of goat because that's what she's hunting. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of, she had a sort of similar interesting story where she, was on this naked and afraid survivor show as a vegetarian wow. and you know, obviously she had the only way she could survive was to end up ultimately eating what was she eating some kind of grubs and insects and a little bit of mm -hmm. any any meat they could catch is what kept them through and she she went back to vegetarianism after the show and it took her two years to recover and she's done it a second time as a carnivore and she said I think she said, what was it, within a day and a half, she was ready to go. She's working out already by the working second day or something like that. But on a vegetarian diet, it took her two years to get to the point where she could start to even, you know, work out and do things like this. So, very was I, watch, I watch people and muscle tone is everything. I mean, that is how you age when you lose muscle tone. Maybe it's the actual definition of aging, losing muscle tone. I see people struggling to get upstairs, um, struggling with walking, and it's, it's related to the lack of muscle tone in their legs. And, you know, you just can't get it with vegetables. I wish you could. And I know some folks will argue, but I don't know, for my body, it doesn't work. It just does not work. Meat is the only thing that helps me preserve muscle tone. Yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, honestly, I don't, vegetables, I, if I never eat another vegetable the rest of my life, I'm fine. I mean, I, I would prefer that chocolate cake gave you muscles, quite honestly, if I was being honest, but so would my kids. They're like, I remember my daughter said, Daddy, I wish sugar was healthy for us. I said, I do too, sweetie, but it's not, you know, it's just not the way it works. But fortunately, you know, when it comes to things, you know, outside of, you know, maybe what I would like better than steak, you know, you, you know, maybe some sort of dessert, but I mean, I, I, I don't sit there and go, gosh, I really wish I could have some, a nice raw piece of broccoli to gnaw on. I've, I've, I've never, even when I ate that stuff and I really did, I, I was always amazed that people would eat that, you know, you go to the salad bar and they'd have like uncooked broccoli and uncooked cauliflower sitting there. And I was like, 
how does anybody, I mean, you, you got, Zach, you've done that. You've eaten like raw cauliflower and raw broccoli. Mm -hmm. And it's just like you're eating it. And it's like, it's literally like, I mean, the, 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 the flavor is like, I mean, not the flavor, but the, it gives me a sensation like I'm eating sawdust or something. It's so dry. And it's just like, how does anyone think this is good? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know who would have elected to do that. You know, even, I mean, granted, cauliflower and broccoli were invented from a mustard, you know, mustard seed, basically, mustard uh -huh. plant. But Right. Who, who would have sat there and ate that raw and were like, wow, this is wonderful. I <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I'm not a huge fan. I think the only, the only vegetable I could say that I've really thought actually tastes decent raw is a carrot. But um, if I'm remembering everything properly, but yeah, any of those other, uh, those other ones I would think are like if you boil them and then add something to them and then it's more like the seasoning or whatever you're putting on it as it is the flavor of the actual vegetable itself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if I had the option between like a raw broccoli or steamed broccoli, I'm taking the steamed broccoli every, every, every time. But, uh, yeah, that's just my, my experience. I do like a salad. I do. Um, and it's because of all of the vinegar and the dressing on top of mm -hmm. it, because I absolutely love vinegar. It's one of my things. I just, for whatever reason, love it. I do like the crunch. I do. And I do like the crunch of a uh, raw carrot. Um, but I don't like what happens to me within five minutes. <laughs> and I, I did do some cycling between keto and uh, carnivore. And I, I think there's merit in it. I know when I was on keto, I did hit a plateau of my weight loss. And so I, what I did was I kind of went, okay, so I started to cycle between carnivore and keto, and I maintained the weight loss, of, it was about three months, I never gained a pound though, but that was the sort of, I think that was the kind of genius in it, and it, my body kind of adjusted to that new weight, and then when I went back at weight loss, full on carnivore, then more weight fell off. So that's kind of my antidote to um, hitting a plateau is to work cycling and then seeing that the weight doesn't budge. I love that too, that your weight, you don't put weight on just because, you know, you stop eating carnivore. You don't, um, it just, it just flats out and then back to carnivore and the weight falls off. Yeah. That's one thing we had Ella Bruce on. Uh, she's a female down in Australia that uh, she basically, she's a competitive physique athlete, I believe. And she, you know, got very lean and then uh, she says I am actively trying to put on weight and body fat because I was very lean as a competitive bodybuilder and I cannot put more than x amount of body fat on eating carnivore I mean even though I'm gorging myself and she as a female that mm -hmm. I think she said she weighed something like 70 kilos which is like 154 pounds I mean she's like I'm eating four to five pounds of meat a day and I still cannot put on body fat you know, beyond, uh, you know, like 18%, which for most women is still very, very lean. And so there's something, you know, I think unique going on for, for many people in that regard, because, you know, four, four to five pounds of meat is more than Zach eats a day. And, and often it's more than I eat a day. And that's, yep. depending how fatty is, that's, that's 5,000 plus calories a day, which is a hell of a lot of food for, for a human being. So it's interesting to see that, to see that kind of unique you know, metabolism is going on, whether it's protein, uh, which probably has a role, whether it's satiety, which obviously if you're hitting five pounds of meat a day, you know, what's the point of satiety? How much do you usually eat? What is, what is your appetite dictate for you? I, I don't eat that much. Um, you know, obviously being sedentary, I don't have the same metabolic needs that you obviously would have, but, um, yeah, that this is this is my this is my big challenge. Willpower has nothing to do with my my weight. It absolutely doesn't, because uh, you know, as I said, day twenty. But I have lost in twenty days uh, fifteen pounds, and that's all. And I went ten of those days, and never ten days without eating, and never lost a pound. Stayed exactly the same weight for ten solid days. Now that tells you something about a person's body, I think, um, you know, so if I'm talking portion size, when I'm eating meat, I don't eat much more than about six ounces, maybe eight if I'm super, super hungry and I'm coming off a fast and I'm refeeding, I might have an eight ounce steak, 
Uh, but I don't eat the, like the fat and stuff off of it. So really in the end, it's not that far off, maybe six, seven ounces. I just don't have the appetite for more than that. I just, I wouldn't be able to eat more than that. And so when I'm, you know, when I'm not fasting, I would never have more than two meals a day just because I, I'm not hungry. So um, that, so my big, a big eating day would be two meals, maybe one, six ounce, you know, on the very outside an eight ounce, but probably two, six ounce portions. And that's pretty much it. Let me ask you, because this is an interesting topic, because there's something called refeeding syndrome. So people who go on a long-term fast can sometimes get into trouble depending on how they refeed. And I don't know what Dr. Fung recommends, but it sounds like for you, I mean, just going in and eating some meat, that works fine. And I've seen that, you know, again, personally, a lot of people, they just fast and they have no trouble just dropping some meat back in. And so what has been your experience? Have you gotten advice from Megan or Dr. Fung about refeeding and, and issues that you might get with that? So, you know, normally they, they do talk about refeeding and how you start off slowly with, um, you know, easier foods to digest. For me, though, um, the traditional easier foods to digest are not. So uh, I'll refeed. I'll start off with some trout. I think trout's a super way to start, and then I'd go right to a steak. And uh, I don't anticipate any trouble. And any fast I've done, the pack I've done a week fast, and that's how I did it, and I had no trouble. You know, there may be some, well, that too, I was doing keto, so... I never really had to fast as much when I was on carnivore. The weight just seemed to come off, even though I were, was, you know, happened to be eating. But um, yeah, I don't anticipate any trouble. And you but said I hear you... the word. Oh, sorry, you can finish. Sorry, I just I hear the warnings. People talk about this refeeding issue, and I've been warned on Twitter and on Facebook. You know, careful with refeeding. And you're you're for the fasting stuff. You're working with Dr. Jason Funk, so he's helping kind of monitor as you go through all that or yeah I, I saw him this weekend Megan Ramos I'm on once a week on a on a zoom with her and she's you know how you doing that kind of thing and mm -hmm. so next week uh, actually January 31st is my last day on this particular fast and, and the goal for this is is just basically weight loss or there's some other goals you're trying to try to see with 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 regard to the fast you know that's a brilliant question right there exactly what is the goal of all of this, all of this? And I started out, you know, for sure weight. I was obese. Like I, think I started off nearly 290 pounds and, you know, getting there, honestly, mostly, I mean, I'm not perfect, but gee, you know, people who would see me eat and I live in a fishbowl, I have help and people see everything I eat and I, I don't eat that much. I never did. And so, you know, it's, what is it for? And it, it started off absolutely weight loss. But you know what? It's it's health. It's I, I want a really good, strong heart um, so I can survive what I need to survive. I want really good insulin resistance so I can avoid some of these, you know, the trappings of aging. Uh, it's all about the health now. I don't even really care. I kind of, like I, I don't mind the way I look now. I'm six foot one. I'm never going to be, you know, a uh, size zero. Even, you know, when I came out of my surgery, I'll tell you, my back surgery, when I bled completely out, I was 99 pounds um, at six foot one. And I, uh, before I was, I was at the professional level of bodybuilding when I went into that surgery and I was out in three weeks and in three weeks, I had lost almost all of my, my muscle. It was unbelievable. And that to me is got to be near the top is preserving muscle tone so that I can continue to make my transfers, that I can continue to be, you know, as independent as possible. I'm always hopeful that it's going to reduce pain, even though it hasn't yet, you know, it hasn't yet come to that. But, I, you know, I do want to lose some weight. And so far I'm 20 days, I've lost 15 pounds. My goal was I hoped that I would pull 20 off. That would be really, really good because I want to be really good shape for an anesthesiologist. That's the next hurdle I've got to cross. So um, that's it. But it's, it's about the health. I don't know. You know, everybody's got an idea of what an ideal body is. And, you know, at six foot one, I'm never going to be anybody's. I was a model for a long time. So I was a runway model. And so, you know, I had that, and, you know, I had the bikini body. I really did. And uh, I, I don't now, and I'm, you know, quite likely never will, but I want to be healthy and I want to live a good long life. And I want to be there for my children. I also have a daughter who lives with me with autism, who will be with me the rest of her life. And so it's absolutely essential that I'm there for her. And so those are the things really that drive me more than the, the number on the scale. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's important to get the health aspect of it. Do you know, 
What, with regard to the transfers, are you able to do any sort of exercise to strengthen the upper body, or is that something that you do regularly? Is that are you getting any response with that? So I, you know, do as much as I possibly can when I get in the water. I, I use what I have. I have a left arm that doesn't work anymore. That's one of the I said accidents. The first accident was in a train, a table, and some turbulence flew off a big giant metal table, hit me in the shoulder, and. Um, dislocated it anteriorly traumatically which we know is very different than just a, a normal dislocation tore the ligaments and um, destroyed an ulnar and radial nerve so the left arm is is not very useful and I don't have real much use of three fingers on the hand I've only got two fingers that really do much uh, so that's kind of hard um, I have a, a desk cycle I try to you know, I try to do everything I can, even isometrics. I do a lot of isometrics. To be honest, I've been spending a lot of time in bed these days just because, you know, when you've got um, that pain, severe pain, that you ha it's less when I'm lying. So I do as many isometrics as I possibly can. You know, I was a bodybuilder, so I know, you know, what you can do to just, you know, try and wring out as much as you can. But it's an issue. It's a serious issue. Yeah, I mean, just hearing your story, I mean, I, I just, not not to say this very flippantly, but I mean, you're pretty much a mess. I mean, you've got a lot of just, you know, health issues that, I mean, the average person couldn't even fathom. And the fact that you have this positive, uh, you know, attitude is, 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 to your credit, and wonderful. And, you know, hopefully, you know, and, and, I, and again, I don't know, I believe that diet seems to play a role in, in mood and emotion as well. And I don't know if you've seen an improvement in your outlook just from diet i mean that's you know I, I mean just hats off to you for for hanging in there because i know a lot of people would have thrown in the towel by now i'm so glad you brought up mood because i you know if i'm sort of you know ratting myself out here i you know i've been blessed with a positive attitude my mom says i was born sunny side up and kind of continued and i've studied meditation from in my 20s i used to teach it at a cardiac rehab program as a nurse and so then I got further into it and I've actually done a doctorate in um, meditation, altered levels of consciousness related to healing. And I, I think it's a superpower. I really do. And I think it's, you know, saved my life over and over and over again. But I'll tell you, I had a rough go around Christmas time. I did go off of my diet, um, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons that don't make any sense right now. <laughs> um, and I didn't eat that well. And I remember towards the end of December thing, I actually believe myself to be depressed. And I've never uttered those words before. I, I'm not that, that kind of person. And I'm blessed because a lot of folks really do struggle with it. But I'm going to tell you, um, the fast it just takes it all away and you're right back to who you were and same with the carnivore eating that it cannot be understated if you do this diet for no other reason than how good it makes you feel um, how clear-headed you are how able you are to see the positive things and be grateful for what you have that is honestly right at the very top of the benefits yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of one is your, do you have a date schedule for your surgery yet? Or is it still kind of to be determined? No. And so Canada does things a little bit different. And I have a wonderful, wonderful surgeon. He's terrific. And, um, you know, he doesn't want to operate on me because I'm not, a. I haven't been, a. wouldn't be described as a good surgical risk. You can, as a doctor, you know that. And so they're sort of waiting and waiting and there's a when the tumor hits three centimeters that's when it starts to metastasize and so uh, we're wanting to push that as far as we can I have also 19 nodules on my lungs and one of my breasts they're not growing and haven't grown in two years now incident you know coincidentally that's when I started the carnivore diet and so um, they're thinking they're not cancerous because they're not growing I, I'm you know happy to believe that so I'm just hoping the next appointment I have is in May. And if in May, I think I, my tumor is around 2.7, 2.8. So I'll be at that level where it's about to metastasize and I want it the heck out of my body. Um, I'm really, really hoping that with these positive cardiac changes, my body structure, you know, even more muscle tone, I'm just hoping that he's going to say, yes, let's get it out. Yeah, well, certainly good luck. And, you know, our thoughts are with you with that. So keep us, you know, keep us informed of your progress. This has been just a fascinating discussion. And, and it's really, 
you know, you've made so much progress. Obviously, there's more to come. I, I would, I suspect. I think the story's not over yet, and I think you're going to continue to see more positive things. And say again, thank you for sharing this. This is going to alter someone else's life. I guarantee it. And I encourage you to continue to, you know, get out there. And despite what the naysayers and haters say, you know, this is important stuff. And this is, you know, this is like I said. Anytime you you know, you stick up a little bit, there's people that want to knock you back down and, and what you're doing is wonderful. And so um, let people know where they can find, I mean, are you, is this something, do you care to, 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 to document your journey so people can follow along? Is that something you've got time or energy or interest in? And if so, you know, you know how, do, how do people follow what's going on? I know you're on Twitter, but is there any other places people can find out about you? Twitter's probably the best place. That's where I kind of focus on the health uh, information I really do want to share. And if I can leave with one thought, you're right, I'm a mess. You know, uh, genetically, <laughs> in any way you can measure accident, pain, um, you know, all kinds of issues. And if this can work for me, it can work for anyone. Because I guarantee you, and I said this to Dr. Fung, and he had kind of a good laugh. If you can find someone else with more challenges, please send them my way because you know what <laughs> and I know you can always have more challenges but I think it's important for people to understand that just because maybe they have you know so they're an outlier they're they're someone who's got extraordinary challenges that it still can work for you and you can still feel better and you can still impact your health in a pretty dramatic way and I, I think that's really important because I bet there are a lot of people out there kind of watching and listening and thinking, ah, it's never going to work for me. I've tried so many things and, you know, I've got bad knees or I've, you know, I've got other problems that prevent me or I've got a bad heart or, you know, there's always something that you can do. And in this case, it's pretty dramatic. Awesome, Carol. Well, thank you for coming on and we will put links in the show notes so folks can can kind of follow your journey. But like as Sean mentioned, uh, you know, stay, keep staying positive. I think that's so cool that you're able to, you know, be optimistic and positive with, with the hurdles that you've had. And I think a lot of people can be inspired by that. Thank you very much. And, and thank you very much for all that you're doing, being part of my Jedi nation. You know, there's Dennis Mangan, Dr. Fung, Megan Ramos, everybody. Those, this sort of crew has really uh, been responsible for everything that I've experienced. So thank you. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.